Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Very excited to bring you a guest today and a conversation that is a powerful one. Today I'm talking with Jeff Sanders. He is the host of the 5am Miracle podcast. He is also uh, an author. He's got a book by the same name, but he's got other books as well. He is a keynote speaker. He is a productivity coach. I don't know if anybody ever feels like you need a little bit of help in the productivity area. I have certainly felt that way myself. I was excited to talk to Jeff and to share Jeff with you guys because so much changed in my life when I started being a better steward of my time in the morning. When my mornings became more, not just productive, but also patterned, habitual, my days got so much easier. And the other piece of it that we're going to talk about today is getting to bed earlier and not getting lost in the vortex of social media or Netflix or whatever it is that you are watching or doing late at night because of the difference that that has on our abilities to capture this magical time. I mean, I, I love that he calls it the 5 a.m. miracle because I do think that there is magic in the mornings and that when we use that time even just a little bit better, it shifts things. We don't have to go from waking up right before we have to be in the shower to get to work on time and the mornings are crazy to being up at 4.30 and having hours of productivity. It can be slight changes, small changes that truly do shift the rest of your day. When we start talking about this, I get excited about talking about the benefits of it, like what do you get out of it? Because sometimes we fixate on what we have to give up for it. I don't want to give up. That's my only downtime to kind of lay on the couch and the kids are in bed and work is over and I can just enjoy a glass of wine and some TV and I don't want to give that up. But what we're not focusing on is what we gain. And I asked Jeff directly in the interview, what do you get out of it? What has it shifted? Why is this giving to you versus just taking from you and requiring discipline and just a a force of habit? And it reminds me of something that has been a powerful driver in my life, and that is it feels amazing to feel amazing. And it didn't feel amazing to be tired every morning. It didn't feel amazing to want to work out but end up not having the time to do it or feeling like I didn't have the time to do it or feeling like there wasn't enough time in the day and I was always racing and always behind and all of those things can change. And I really think that today's episode is going to help you start to bring forth those changes. 
So again, Jeff is my guest today. He is a podcast host. He is an author. And we will link to all of the places that you can connect with Jeff in the show notes. So welcome to the show, Jeff Sanders. And guys, I know you are going to love this. I can't wait to hear what you think. I'd love for you to DM me on Instagram. Let me know if you've changed anything or you've made any adjustments to your morning based on this episode. But without any further ado, let's dive right in. Jeff Sanders, welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for being here. Or thank myself for being here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you can this find is, me here. I live this here. Is what, you, know, you know you're talking to a podcaster. That's how I introduce myself is saying hello to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That is like the, uh, where, where am I? Am I on my show or am I on your show? Sometimes I have to like, keep myself a sticky note, you know? So true. So when I got the, the notice from my team that we were going to be chatting, I was so excited because First, I love talking to another author. You've written two books, um, twice as much as I have, but the, the titles of your books could be, podcast titles could be rabbit holes in and of themselves. Like they're the most epic talking points ever. And I, I kind of want to jump right into that because um, one of your books is also aligned with, with your show, The 5 a.m. Miracle. I, I want to know what that means to you. Like when you decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book and I'm going to call it The 5 a.m. Miracle. Why was that so important for you to get out as a message? What does that mean to you? Because I told you before we started recording, I love early mornings. I think they're magical. So I just want to start it off with, what does that mean to you? Well, the podcast for me came before the book and the podcast came because of like a single day in my life. So that kind of the origin story of this is that I was working a full-time job, had a side business. I was training for a marathon. So I had a lot going on, busy, busy schedule in life. And I knew that I was living day to day stressed out and overworked. And I knew something had to shift. Um, I also knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to launch a podcast. So like all these things are going on at the same time in the back of my mind. And so what I tried was a, a set of experiments, which is what I tend to do in my life anyway. And the goal of this certain experiment was to wake up early and see if a 5 a.m. wake up call would allow me time to run before work. So that was the only real goal in mind. And on day one, when I tried this, it felt miraculous to me, which is where the, t the title of 5 a Miracle came from was that there was this like magical thing that occurred for me early in the morning where I woke up, no one else is awake, it was just me, and I went and did my run like, in the dark, and I came back home and I felt phenomenal. Even though I had slept less than at night, I still <laughs> felt really good because I had done something for myself I did so without any distractions. And then the rest of the day, I felt a lot better. And I was like, well, this could be a repeatable habit. Let's see if it works again tomorrow, the next day. So I kept trying it. And all of a sudden, this became a habit for me that I just could not escape from. It was just so powerful. And so for me, it's just about that that experience that you get when you know that I got up on purpose, I did something for myself that's beneficial, and I have that win in the morning before the rest of the day takes off that makes me feel so much better. So I have momentum and motivation and productivity and all these things exist before normally I'd even be out of bed. And so to me, like that's a really powerful way to begin your day. I completely agree with this. And people know that I'm such a morning person. They think I was always a morning person but I wasn't. The thing that made me a morning person was 
the feeling that I had when I crushed the morning. So were you a morning person? Because, you know, getting up at five, maybe you were kind of a morning person, but maybe that was 6.30 for you. Have you always been a morning person? No. In fact, I would argue that I'm kind of the opposite normally. My tendency is to stay up late and just keep doing things. And so going to bed early is the biggest challenge. It's not really about the wake up call for me. It's about when I go to bed. Like that's the thing that creates, you know, the sleeping hours of the night. And so for me, that was always my biggest challenge. So I don't don't really care about the wake up time as much, but it really matters kind of when I can stop working for the day and go to bed. And so for me, I had to kind of learn that habit first was how to go to sleep on time. And then 5 a.m. felt fine. And that habit was easy to then go from because I would get eight hours of sleep and then feel good. And so it really, for me, is about going to bed on time. And then I can wake up whenever I feel is necessary for my schedule. And then, of course, from there, build the habit. Um, I would say that kind of as a a trait for me as a person is that I like to take on challenges. I'm fine to be tired. I'm fine to, you know, work through things that are hard. Like generally, I'm okay with that. And Mm so 5 a.m. for some people just sounds like torture and they're just refused to even try. And I get it. Like it's not easy. But like I tend to to focus on like what do I get from this? And I, I really try to ask myself like what's the benefit here and how can I keep my mind focused on that? So what do you get from it? Because there are a ton of people that talk about the benefits of, of waking up in the morning, but more generally. And I think that keeps a lot of people from it because they haven't thought specifically about the answer to that question. What do I get from this? So for you now that it's become a pattern and a habit and probably a way of life, what is it that you get from your early mornings? My number one goal on most mornings is exercise. That's the thing that I want to get, um, mostly because I know that if I wait till later in the day, I will put it off. And mm-hmm. I find a ton of value from fitness. I love to run. Um, this morning, I went and ran at, at the park. And I, that kind of experience for me has become just so vital to my energy and enthusiasm and just the way I want to live. And mm-hmm. so that is the specific thing that I have always wanted since day one. Like Literally, running was the goal, and that continues to be my focus. Now, it doesn't mean that on some days I'll choose like a business project or a personal project or something else that's, you know, meaningful to me. But for me, I'm glad you asked this question because for a lot of people, they don't get specific with what they're going to do. So like if tomorrow morning you woke up at 5 a.m. but had no plan of what to do at that time, then you might squander it. It might not be valuable and you might not find it actually useful to continue that habit. But if you get up and you do something that you normally don't have time for or normally just like postpone or you just like feel like you can never squeeze it in, but then all of a sudden that thing happens, then you get that win that you've wanted for a long time and then you have a reason to do it again tomorrow. You just said something that I think unlocks this for so many people. You said that you don't normally have time for, right? That if you waited to exercise later, that's the thing that like, oh, I can't, the day took over. If people ask this question, what is it that I normally don't have time for? Because a lot of folks want to know, well, what, what should I be doing in this morning time? Like, what is my morning routine? But the question that you just posed, what is it that you normally don't have time for? It could be that it is magical for you if you use it for food prep. Or it's magical for you if you use it for meditation and journaling. Or it could be magical for you to do the laundry and clean your kitchen because that's the thing that you normally don't have time for. So when you talk about morning routines, 
is it just finding that thing that you don't have time for? Or, or are there things that you think are critical elements that are the difference between having the mornings be magic or miraculous or not? I mean, I will. I know a lot of people who prescribe to very specific morning routines, and they include affirmations and specific kinds of yoga moves, and like there's all kinds of you know, there's lots of things you can do in the morning. There's lots of different ways to begin your day, and I have never prescribed to a specific set of habits that have to exist for morning to go well. Because what has worked well for me is to is the intentionality behind the idea of saying I'm going to get up at this certain time, and when I get up, I'm going to do these certain things that I'm decided ahead of time, and if the those things happen, then that's going to move my goals forward. Hmm. And that's a different way of thinking than saying, well, some guy in a podcast session meditates, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's, it, what it really comes down to is like, what is going to move the needle for you right now? And that should be what you do tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And if that takes place, then your goals are moving forward and you feel better and you're meeting a need that you have right now, which could be laundry at 5 a.m. If that's what you need, then do the laundry and then right. you're going to feel better because of it. And I find that the adaptability of that is saying, I'm not going to prescribe to a set of habits that I have to do. It's asking the question on a day-to-day -day basis, what do I need in my life now? And how can that be addressed tomorrow morning? I love that. I want to go back to what you said about the evenings. I find that many people struggle to wake up in the morning, not because it's hard to wake up in the morning, but as you said, they just stayed up too late the night before, or they didn't sleep well throughout the night, both of which can be addressed. For someone, you said that you would just get into something and then something else and then something else and then it's late. <laughs> How did you begin to break this pattern? Because I hear a lot of resistance from my listeners to getting to bed earlier. They will tell me they can't because I had to do this and then I had to do this and they're so busy chasing their tail that before they know it, it's 1130 and a 5 a.m. wake up call feels criminal. Yeah, it's not that you have to go to bed at a certain time or that you can't go to sleep on time. I think what for me, the way that my life tends to operate is that I start projects at like 9 p.m., which mm -hmm. is a terrible thing to do, right? You shouldn't let yourself get into things when you know that that's the time to end the day. And mm -hmm. so for me, the only thing that's worked is a very strict evening boundary. And I have an alarm on my phone that goes off that says, this is it. You're done for the day. Stop whatever you're doing, put it away and prepare for bed. And mm -hmm. I need that. That kind of boundary to remind myself like today is over whatever you're working on you can do tomorrow morning at 5 a.m if you really want to but other than that like the sleep has to be a priority and i know from experience that like on the days where i get four hours of sleep the next day is awful and i don't want those days so i'd rather go to bed early get plenty of rest and then have the ability to think clearly and address those problems on the next day which it takes practice to get really good at this because you have to train your brain to think going to bed at 9 p.m is fine which for a lot of people sounds way too early, but like it takes that kind of discipline to force yourself into the habit that will give you benefits tomorrow. It's just that initial, like getting over the hump of saying like, I'm not going to live the way I used to live before. Absolutely. When we talk about this starting projects late thing, oftentimes I find that's a result of inefficiency throughout the day. Hmm. I have to do it now because I didn't get it done earlier. And then what I think is often a flawed belief that there just isn't enough time when it's really, we're not using the time well. So I know that efficiency and productivity 
are, are things that you do a lot of, of teaching around. And, you know, the word productivity has, has changed for me recently because I think that a lot of times people confuse productivity and busyness and just like getting a lot done versus getting the important things done. But either way, when you use your time better throughout the day, all of this stuff gets a whole lot easier. So what are some of the strategies that you personally have found the most helpful for being a better steward of the time you have during the day so that you're not feeling the pressure to be on your laptop at 1030 at night? It's a great question. I think the biggest thing for me that has shifted in the last few years has come from being very diligent, diligent about what I'm saying yes to and then letting go of absolutely everything else. Um, so as an example, like right now, I'm working through a project of doing a lot of web design on, my, on, the, on my website and trying to redo my home studio for the podcast. So it's a lot of tech work. Like that's been my whole life in the last few months. And this kind of work can just go on forever. Like you could work on tech stuff your entire life. Mm -hmm. And I know very well that like there's a lot of projects like that, that you open that can of worms and it just, it could really take forever to get done. So you have to be very specific about saying, I'm going to address these few things and that's it. And everything else that's fluffy or unnecessary or is not going to make a significant difference in my goals, I'm just not going to do. And that takes a real, like self-awareness around what you're currently working on to know what is necessary and what is fluffy. Um, in my latest book, I call it uh, doing a lot of nonsense. And nonsense mm -hmm. means anything that you really never have to do. And if your day is filled with a lot of nonsense, that's why you feel busy. That's why productivity is busyness is because you're just checking a lot of boxes. But that's not the goal of the day. It's not to say, like, look at my long list of things that got done. It's asking the question, like, did I actually make a really big difference today? And sometimes that means doing one big thing the entire day, and that's it. And often if you begin at 5 a.m., that one big thing is done by 9 a.m., and your whole day feels so much better. And for me, that's what I'm trying to get to is saying, I'm going to do a couple of big things, and I'm not going to let myself drown in minutia, which is what tends to happen if we let ourselves say yes over and over and over again. So for me, saying no is a mantra. It's a daily habit. Like I'm telling myself no more than anybody else, but yeah. I can't let myself give in to the temptation to just keep being busy because that's my nature. Like I, I want to be busy, but I'm, I'm trying to train myself to say I can be busy, but I can only do certain things to be busy, which means priority projects get my attention and everything else I let go. I think a lot of people don't really know what their priorities are. They know what they think they are. But for me, and I think we talked about this when I was on, on your show, um, things have shifted for me a lot in the last couple months. And, and I think that's true for everybody, maybe for different reasons. I think COVID has shifted things for a lot of people. For me, yeah. it was losing a child that shifted things for me. But if you haven't taken a lot of time to say like, what are my priorities really, really and does my day reflect that, then I think you'll struggle to be a better steward of the time you have during the day. Aside from asking, what are my priorities? How would you work through this with, with somebody that you're working with, or even in your own life, designing your day so that it reflects your priorities? Because I feel like that's a beautiful theory, <laughs> but I know it took me, and I've been a, a productive person and I feel like I have a good sense of my priorities, but everything shifted and got even more 
streamlined and and goal oriented and priority based after tragedy. So how can people do that without all of a sudden you can't leave your house for three months or without losing a child? Well, it's a good point. I mean, I had kind of a, a, my own version of a tragedy. I went to the ER three years ago because of a stress-induced panic attack. Like I put myself in that position where I was, was working myself to death. And so I get the idea that like tragedy is definitely an eye-opener, like no doubt, like it'll get your attention. But beyond that, I think that it's a, it's a very easy practice to go through, which I've done for a long time. I got bad at it a few years ago, but there's simple things you can do. Like one thing I do every single week is a review process. I take about an hour and a half on Sunday afternoon and I will review the last week, ask myself what went well, what did not, and how can next week be better? Hmm. And just taking an hour out of, my, out of my week to ask those kinds of questions will then cause me to cut things that don't matter and actually create an ideal schedule for the upcoming week to make sure it matches my priorities. And I know a lot of people use calendars and task managers and to-do lists, but there's not a lot of reviewing going on. There's not a lot of taking the time out to ask, are these things on my task list even necessary? Like, is my calendar filled with meetings I don't even want to go to? And if that's what your day looks like, if you're looking ahead of your calendar and saying, I don't want to do this, like these next seven days look bad, then you have to change something about your life. Like things aren't working. And those are tough questions to ask because you have to really go through the difficult work of addressing things in your life that aren't working, which is challenging up front. But the end result of that is amazing because then you can look ahead and say, I'm so excited for Monday morning. And that does not happen very often for most people. But yeah. like I, I've been in that place for a long time because I've created a life that looks like a life I want to live on paper. Now, the actual reality can be kind of messy, but at least on paper, it looks like a life that I could do. It's manageable. It's got goals on it. It's got things that I care about on it. And therefore, I'm excited to get started. And if I can live like that more often, then I'm going to not only get more done, but actually have the enthusiasm, motivation behind it to say, like, I'm doing things that I really care about. What were some of the changes you had to make to shift from kind of dreading the things that were on your calendar? I don't want to do any of this stuff, even if it wasn't terrible, like this isn't how I want to live my life. I, I know that it's easier to different degrees for different people based on career choice and all of those kinds of things. But for you, what changes had to be made to have a life where you feel like on paper, at least it is the life you want to live? Well, I think I had to get really clear about what I wanted. I think to your point earlier, it's like you have to have the awareness of knowing what it is you actually want. And one of the easy ways to know that is if you look at your calendar and you see like, oh, on you know Thursday afternoon, I have a meeting with this person. And I would think to myself, well, I don't actually want to go to that meeting. Well, why not? Is it the person? Is it me? Is it the topic of the meeting? And I would try to identify like what mm-hmm. specifically wasn't working. And then I'd be able to see like a, a pattern over time and say, well, I've been scheduling meetings I don't want to go to for months. And I have more of my calendar coming up, I'm just going to find another way to tackle that project or not do it at all. And so I can find a way to slowly like, like unwind the things I've been doing that don't really resonate with what I want to do. And so sometimes it's not that easy, but if you can break apart the pieces and see what it is that works and what doesn't, you know more about yourself and then know, know more about what an ideal weekly looks like. I want to break into that, and I'm sure you've got more things, and I'm, I'm personally really excited to hear them for further changes that I can make in my schedule, but I want to break into that for a second because I imagine there are people listening right now who 
have things on their calendar because of a job that they have. And, and I don't schedule my meetings. I'm told what's <laughs> on my calendar and, and yeah. I don't like any of it. And I think your point to first ask why is it the topic? Is it the people? Is it the time? Is it whatever? That clarity is, is powerful. But where should you go if you are an employee working for somebody else, which I think the majority of folks are, uh, at least listening to this podcast, how can you start to make changes? Because one of the things we do on my team is what do you love doing? What do you not love doing? Because I believe that people are going to perform better when they love what they're doing. But it's tough if you don't necessarily have a person in a leadership position where you are who is is having those conversations or at least initiating those conversations. So what can folks do who feel like they don't have much control over their calendar to at least start to make some progress? It's a great question because it's a, a tough place to be. And I was there in my last day job a few years ago. And I was in a, a, working a job where my boss at the time asked me to do something that I didn't want to do. And I found another, a coworker of mine to do it for me. And so I, I, I self-delegated this task. And then my boss almost fired me because of it. Like I almost lost my job overnight because I was trying to kind of play, play my, own, my own boss in that sense. And what I realized from that and then the next job I got right after it was that I ended up creating these like opportunities for me to be more clear with people around me about what I wanted to do, what I was good at, what I thought, how I thought I could help the company in the best possible way. And the more of those discussions that I had, the more that I found myself doing work that I actually cared about. Now, sure, I spent lots of time doing work I didn't want to do. That's kind of comes to the territory. But I did a lot more of the things that I wanted. And I was able to take more control by simply telling people what it is I wanted and what I was yeah. good at and what I, the direction that I wanted to go. And, and employers can be very happy to put you somewhere where you're excelling. Like That's what they want. And so if you're not excelling where you are, then you can find a better fit somewhere else. That could be in the same company, could be a new job, but there has to be a, a, an opportunity to say like, uh, here's who I am, here's what I want. Now, how can we find you know a happy medium with this? And oftentimes there's a solution there, but you have to have those discussions for it to be possible. That is such good advice because many people who are unhappy in their jobs just complain about it and it is yeah. what it is and they whine. And I know because I was that person for the longest time and I'll never forget the day I felt like I deserved more money at my last corporate job. And instead of just whining and complaining and it's not fair and somebody else does less but makes more, I walked into my boss's office and I said, if I could get you this result and this result, if I could make it happen, would it be worth giving me a $10,000 bonus? Not a pay raise, but a bonus for this. And it was two big projects. And it was kind of a reach. He wasn't thinking we would, we would hit that mark. And he was like, well, yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, can we put it in writing? Because if I don't do it, no big deal. I didn't do it. But if I do do it, can we put it in writing? And that shifted my entire perspective on work. And I think that a lot of that initiative can be taken with people when they're not happy in a, in a job that they have or with a task that they have in a job. We've got to communicate. We've got to be adult and say, hey, I think I'm better at this. Hey, I think I could really excel at this. And even if you're kind of adding it to your plate to prove yourself at first, if that's the play to get you to a place where you feel better about your days, I think that's a powerful play to make. So Along those lines, that's one of the things that you did. You started looking at what you didn't like and why and making shifts. Were there anything 
was there anything else that kind of stands out to you as changes you had to make so that you could construct days that really satisfy you and fulfill you and you don't dread? Well, I think one of the things that I've done the last few years that I was kind of bad at at first, but I've gotten better over time, I'm still kind of working on it, is really leveraging my energy cycles throughout the day. Um, so the 5 a.m. miracle, like as much as I love 5 a.m., 5 a.m. is not my typical wake-up time even today. Uh, but the, because the goal for me is to really ask the question, like, when do I feel my best? How can I leverage those kind of energy times in the day to do my hardest work? So for me, between like 7 a.m. and 10.30, I know that I'm caffeinated, I'm awake, I'm alert and I can get some good stuff done. So I would love to be able to schedule my most difficult stuff during those hours. Mm. And then in the afternoon, I slow things down. I might do household chores then or other kind of, you know, slower tasks because I want to leverage when I feel good and do the hardest work then. And so that way there's less discipline required, less, you know, willpower required. I'm able to just kind of say, I feel really great. I'm ready to work. Let's tackle this. And that has led to a lot more things getting done and bigger things being tackled. And that I mean, oftentimes been in your schedule, you can oftentimes create a better kind of daily flow for yourself that allows you to leverage your best times. And I know a lot of people who are night owls who will do their best work, you know, at 7 p.m. to midnight. And if that's the case for you, then leverage that time and really make sure you're focused and can really, you know, tackle those things that matter. And if that's the case, then you're going to get a lot more done every day and feel better about it because you're kind of in the zone and the best way for you. Mm -hmm. What are some of your strategies for distractions? Because all of this sounds great until you pick up your phone on the way to the kitchen to get some water and you get sucked into Instagram or whatever else it is, or somebody calls and something comes up. What do you teach people with respect to distractions? I love distractions in the sense that I love to get rid of them. Uh, mm -hmm. I created a thing I call F-bots or focus blocks of time years ago. Actually, at my last day job was where I first started. And that's when I realized the power of intense focus. And I mean, like, absolutely nothing is going on besides the one thing you're trying to get done. Um, at the day job, the way that I made sure that happened, I literally got to a point where I would unplug my phone, lock my office door, like put a sign on front and said, I'm in a conference call, you know, leave me alone, even though it was a total lie, just to try to squeeze out a few moments of, of focus to get things done. And you know, my boss caught on after a while, but like there was some strategies there to have those discussions to say, if I can have focused time, what's that going to look like for me? Because I know myself and when I can have direct focus on something, I get so much more value out of that time. And the quality goes up, the quantity of work goes up, and so much more gets done. And so even working from home now, the same thing applies. I close my office door. I tell my wife and my daughter, like, hey, like this is my time right now. I get an hour and then I'm done. And so when I have that kind of, of boundary set, like a physical boundary with the door being closed or a time boundary set to say I have one hour of work, like that kind of focus allows me to say, I'm just going to do the most important thing in this time block. And then I can take a break. I can go look at my phone. Then I can, I'm going to snack then like whatever the case is, even right now in this interview, like this is a focus block of time for me to make sure that I give my all to this interview. Yeah. And it takes that kind of intention with the most important work in the day to say that because this is so important, I'm going to do whatever it takes to identify distractions and then find a way around them. And when that happens, all of a sudden you realize, wait, I've got an hour and a half of focused time and it was really productive. Like, how can I do more of those? 
Yeah, oftentimes we exhaust ourselves because our, we're working for longer, but it's not focused and we're exhausting our brains bouncing from one thing to the next. And what has been super helpful for me, I, and I think about this, especially when I was writing my book is when I felt the most distracted, I would commit to a small time increment, like 10 mm. minutes just on this project, like nothing else, because that felt doable. An hour sometimes felt like a hundred years. And I would have to start with really small chunks of time. And then it's like you build endurance the same way that you would in a sport. And I think that that's just a really, really powerful way of having focused time blocks. And you can do that with household chores. I usually set a timer, like when I'm working on the house, because I could go down, like you said, rabbit holes and, oh, look, this needs to be cleaned and this needs to be organized. And I was cleaning the kitchen, but now I'm rearranging books. And it goes on and on. If I set a timer for like 20 minutes, we're going to do 20 minute blitz cleaning. We're not going to look at our phones. And it's amazing what you can get done in that time. It is amazing. I, I love the idea of just having a specific time frame. And to that, I, in the same degree of writing a book, I know when I wrote my last book, I used that kind of 10 minute time frame thing. So I would have like a four hour block of time for writing, but it would still be hard to start. Like yeah. oftentimes that's the biggest issue. And so if you give yourself just 10 minutes to, to focus and work on something, that's manageable. Most people, they can do 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself in those 10 minutes, getting into a flow. You all of a yeah. sudden find yourself focusing, working, getting ideas, things are moving. And so that initial kind of burst of saying, I'm going to try, like that leads to a lot of progress. Now, this is all strategy and tactic, which I love because it's so helpful to see what are the actual things that people implement. But sometimes there can be an addiction to the, the strategies and the ideas, and that's where mindset comes into play. And I'd love to hear your perspective on what mindset and mindset work has to do with productivity. I mean, the way that I have viewed kind of approaching the work that I do and even just approaching my day is I want to feel emotionally good about it. I want to be energized, enthusiastic. I, I want to be like, be really positive. I mean, my wife makes fun of me because sometimes I'll get out of bed and say like, today's going to be a great day. And I'll say like a really corny, cheesy smile on my face. And, and I've, I did that for a long time because I actually meant it. Like it was real for years. And then I'd have these you know, seasons of my life where I didn't feel that way. But I said it anyway to kind of like get myself back in the groove and it didn't always work. But it's just that that mantra of saying, like, there's a certain way of thinking that I want to have a certain way of living that I want to do. And, and for that to be possible, like I have to change my inputs. I have to change my outputs. So what am I what am I consuming? You know, TV, social media, whatever the case there. And then what am I saying to myself is my internal dialogue. Like, am I constantly complaining or finding obstacles or am I saying like, Today is going to be awesome. Here's why. Let's get to it. And yeah. I feel like that kind of thinking has led to me actually starting projects, getting progress done. It takes me somewhere. And then I have the, that, you know, that sense of progress built up to then do more work. So for me, I mean, exercise is great. I love to run and get the energy from that. But it also has to be kind of the mental internal dialogue of saying, I actually believe in myself today. I can do this. Let's begin. And that takes practice. But the more I say that to myself, the, the better I get at that. You know, one of my pet peeves in life is when you ask somebody how they are and they say busy. Hmm. I don't know yeah. why. Like, just, it, it's, it's not forever been a pet peeve because I used to do it myself for the past couple of years. Like, really? That's, that's the most interesting thing you have to say? I mean, <laughs> come on now. We can do better. Um, but I wonder, because I'm, I'm thinking of the people who are listening and they're thinking, I don't have time 
for this. Like I'm too busy to do this work of, of trying to figure out my priorities. I'm too busy to go to bed at an earlier time. How do you address that? Or what is your advice for that way of thinking that I don't have time. Sounds great. Yep. I could probably benefit from it, but I'm, I'm, you don't understand. I'm too busy. (laughs) If you decide not to pursue this path, then you'll get the same results you're getting now. And I think that that realization for a lot of people really kind of shocks them into thinking, because if I ask somebody like, where will you be in a year or five years from now? Oftentimes it's pretty easy to say, well, life's going to be better in a year. You know, things will improve. And I'll say, well, how are they going to improve in a year? Like, what are you going to be doing differently in the next 12 months? And then they get kind of fuzzy about it because nothing is actually planned to change the way they're living. So the results you're going to get a year from now will be the same and possibly even worse if you just keep adding things to your plate. And so there has to be at some point some realization that if I don't stop and pause and then address these things, then I will not be able to directly address these solutions and then get the progress I want. And so it really is just a question of how do you want to live your life? And if how you're living now isn't working for you, then change is required. Otherwise, you'll get the results you don't want. And so it's not difficult logically. It's difficult emotionally to accept that and then put the work in. And so oftentimes like that kind of, you know, self-talk is helpful to say like, okay, I don't like these results. Let's change something. And that begins tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. if it has to. Like there has to be a time on the calendar that says tomorrow things are going to be different. And here's how. And then spell it out. You know, make a list, write it down. And then it becomes more tangible. And then from there, it's not this like I'm too busy excuse. It becomes I'm going to be proactively doing something about these issues. And then you don't, you don't have the, the the dialogue anymore that says I'm too busy. I can't do this as opposed to I can do this and here's how. I feel like in this time that we're in now with the quarantine and, and COVID and all of that, there's been a lot that's been removed from people's lives, whether it's kids' sports or it's PTA meetings or it's a, any number of things. As things open back up, what do you think people should consider or what are some questions they can ask themselves to be a little bit more intentional about what they allow back in? As I see this as an as a opportunity to do some of this work that you're talking about and figuring out priorities and creating a life that that you love and you want, how can people start to filter through some of the things that have been removed before they just add them back in because they can? It's a great question. I know there's a lot of opportunity here to to not re-engage with a lot of new things. Um, And on that same line, I had a guy that I was going to interview on my podcast a few months ago, and I had to reschedule the interview. And when I emailed him and said, I need to reschedule, he was like, oh, great. I want to cancel it anyway, because I don't want to do interviews anymore. And I was like, what? That's kind of weird. And and he told me like the whole backstory behind it, that he had come to that realization that there were things he was doing that didn't work for him. And it was time to move on to being different. But he had to have like he had to tell me directly, like, I'm canceling this interview. It's over, which I don't want to hear. But at the same time, like his rationale was solid and it made sense. And so if you have that same sense of there are things that I don't want to reengage with, then that's fine. Have that conversation, you know, leave the PTA if you have to, whatever the the case is to be able to say, these things are no longer part of my life. And I'll have a quick little conversation, send an email, you know, quit that organization 
and then replace it with something that's better, that really fits who you are and who you want to be as these months progress and we have a, a new normal, like then redefine normal for yourself. Create an ideal week. Write it down. Here's what makes a great day for me. Here's a great week for me. Here are the things I want to be involved in. And then for me, I know that when I spell it out like that and write it down and I can see that like tangibly, then all of a sudden I get excited about it because I'm like, what if that was actually real? What if I lived that life? Mm -hmm. And then I begin to make it, make it possible. And yeah. so oftentimes that's really all this is, is just being clear about where you want to be. And then anything doesn't fit that mold, you let it go. I think that uh, the theoretical question of like, well, what if, what if it could be this way? Yeah. What if I didn't have to do this? What if I was free for this, free from this? It opens us up to where we have some work to do, where we have some, some problem solving to engage in, where we get to be creative. And if that was possible, how would it be so? Where would I start? What would need to happen? Okay, how can I influence that? And we've got to be a little bit more committed to that kind of creativity and thinking. At least that's, that's how I see it. Oh, certainly. It's, it's a lifestyle of thinking more creatively, thinking with possibility, thinking with what ifs and how can I's. And, and it's a language that you have to like really learn how to speak. And when that happened, that, for me, that's like personal growth really began for me about 10 years ago or so was I began to read books that had that line of thinking. Uh, and I had never heard that before. Like it was a brand new language for me. Yeah. And all of a sudden it changed the way that I thought. And that's honestly why I do today what I do. It's why I work for myself. It's why I've written books and podcasts and give speeches and all those things, yeah. they're all possible because I asked the question like, what if I could do the things I really want to do? Right. And, then, and then over time, I just figured it out. And it was taken 10 plus years to get there, but I'm here like, and, and more things are happening. And like, it's because I changed the way that I thought as opposed to me still being in that last day job that I knew for years I wanted to quit. And so it just, I mean, look to that story though, I was laid off. I didn't actually quit that job, but being laid off was my blessing to say, now's the time to go be an entrepreneur. Now's the time to go like face that thing I've been avoiding. And yeah. so sometimes like if right now in the middle of COVID you're, you were laid off, that could be the best thing in the world. Now go do something you really want to do that fits you even better. Well, I personally have been inching towards this idea in terms of like, what is my ideal day? What is my ideal week? And I, it's, been a, it's been a slow go and gradual changes, but you've really challenged me to look at why I don't like the things that I don't like, because it could be that even though I might not be able or willing to eliminate it right now, I could change it to eliminate the part of it that I don't like. So mm. that has been significant for me and I'm excited to sit down and look at my calendar and do that. You've got a couple different books. We've talked about uh, ideas in both of them, but tell folks a little bit about where they can connect with your work, um, how they can listen to your podcast, all of that, anything that you want to share so people who are listening can find a way to connect with you. Sure. Yeah. The website is jeffsanders.com. That's the home base for all of my content. Um, I have two books, The 5 a.m. Miracle and The Free Time Formula. Both of those are on Amazon and lots of other uh, online bookstores. And then the podcast is probably the best thing to check out first. Uh, it's free and it's available wherever podcasts are, are located, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere else. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of places there to check out the content and, uh, and dig in. Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been so timely because before things open back up, before life resembles any kind of normal like it was before, these conversations about being intentional and being deliberate and being a good steward of your time so that you can enjoy life more, they are just game changers. So thanks so much for being willing to talk about it with us. 
Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.